Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So a few episodes ago, um, I maybe last episode, I'm not sure how these will come out, but I talked about a huge issue I had with my potting soil this year. I was trying to figure out why my plants weren't growing and I did a lot of detective work in the process. And I came across a really interesting and kind of scary concept in my potting soil research. And it was brought to my attention by a wonderful um, audience member or a follower. She popped into my DMs and brought this to my attention and I've kind of been interested in it ever since. So it's the topic of biosludge. Uh, and if you have never heard of that, don't feel bad because I hadn't either. And it wasn't till my guest today brought it to my attention that I started to realize this is a really big issue that is potentially going to affect all of us and is potentially affecting all of us now. Um, and we don't even realize it. So I'm excited to have with me today, Miss Julie Lay. She has a Bachelor of Science in Animal Science from Auburn University and has, uh, and until 2020, has spent her entire career working in the food safety industry. So welcome, Julie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So can you just start us off? We're going to start like ground floor here. For those of you or those of us who aren't aware, like I was, what is biosludge? So that's a good question. So that's the same question I asked in 2019 when they spread sludge near our home. So, <clears throat> so what um, biosolids? Um, some people call it biosludge, like like what you just said. Um, some people call it um, just nasty. <laughs> so what this is is it is municipality wastewater sludge, and it, there's another area or. Um, description or, or source, source of it, I should say, that comes from industry. So I'll talk about biosolids first. So biosolids are specifically from a municipality wastewater sludge treatment process. So basically before your municipality can discharge um, their, their affluent or their wastewater to a waterway or treat it for, um, for further uses for reuse water, like at ski resorts. I know some ski resorts use um, their affluent for making snow and some cities use it for the fountains that they have and things along those lines. So before that they can, they can reuse this water, they have to clean it. And so they have to take out like the biological oxygen demand, fats, oils, and greases, and they have to get it to these certain standards. Well, this sludge is what they clean out of the waste water the solids and, and some liquid. So it's like a, it is like a sludge that they clean out of their affluent before they can discharge it or reuse the water. And then those are regulated by the EPA on, um, as far as land application. Um, those are um, regulated by the federal EPA government and they, they call those the 503s. Those are the, that's the name of the regulations. And um, most of those biosolids are land applied or they go into bagged fertilizer. Some of them are incinerated. So it depends on what your city does with, with uh, their biosolids. Attached to that, the industry has kind of caught wind of this industries and they have said, okay, well, we have, when we clean our affluent before we discharge it, we have solids. And in the state of Alabama in 2019, um, they said, well, we can show that it has fertilizing capabilities too. 
And we can land apply this stuff. So as long as it showed fertilizing capabilities and it didn't contain any hazardous materials, according to my state's hazardous list, they could land apply their sludge. So a lot of industries like paper mills, um, coal coal, um, combustion plants, and the poultry industry or slaughterhouses, they were using this gap in regulation to land apply their sludge that otherwise would go to a landfill and they would have to pay tipping fees. This way, it's free. They can offer it to farmers for free, and they say that it's fertilizer. And yes, there are some fertilizing capabilities in it. However, there's a whole other level of chemical contamination that may be in these sludges that they're not talking to farmers about. So you have the biosolids from municipality, and then you'll have industrial sludge um, from industry don't fall under the 503s and it's up to your state to regulate that. And in the state of Alabama, up until 2019, there was no regulations on industrial sludge. They didn't have any state regulations. So they could basically land apply as much as they wanted wherever they wanted um, without any state regulation as long as it didn't violate the Clean Water Act. Okay, interesting. I just have to know, how did you become so interested in this? Like, I mean, I was so unaware of it. This is something I know you're passionate about. Um, What's your background with this? So as you said, you know, I've got my degree in animal science from Auburn University, and I come from a farming background. I am one generation removed from the farm, but my grandparents, they had a dairy farm. um, They had corn, tobacco, horses. um, So I come from an agricultural family. And my dad, he was a land use specialist for TVA. So we were always talking about agriculture. We were talking about farming. Um, So that led me to Auburn and I got my degree. And then I started working for the poultry industry because that's what's in North Alabama is poultry. And um, shortly after that, I took a job working with a large uh, industrial ag company. And I worked in food and feed safety for the majority of my 16 year career. And then I left in 2019 because that's when the sludge was applied next to our house. Um, so I'd come okay. home. Yeah. You, um, so, yeah, that's an interesting story there. So I had come home from work one day, and my husband had called and said, they've put out fertilizer. It is awful. And I was like, you know, I've smelled all kinds of smells, you know, worked in ag my whole life. So I was like, yeah, you know, but it was odd that he called me and told me that. And so I drove down the mountain. We immediately rolled up our windows. It was awful. Um, ran my children, my young boys into the house, um, immediately got on the phone and started calling, called the farmer that had it put out because he he was a friend of ours and asked him questions. He really couldn't answer my questions. He just said that the company approached him and said it was food grade fertilizer from a poultry plant. And I said, poultry plants do not produce a food grade fertilizer. USDA nor FDA give Um, a food grade stamp on fertilizer products. So I knew that. Mm -hmm. So that was my first red flag. They didn't give them a safety data sheet or they didn't have any kind of documentation on what was actually in this stuff. Um, So the smell and the odor was the first hint. And of course, we live in a recharge area of a a major aquifer. So I was really concerned about our Mm -hmm. aquifer water. Um, And I was shocked that they could put this kind of stuff out in a recharge area of aquifer. So um, I called the company. Um, They couldn't answer my questions. They quickly got a little aggravated with me because I was asking questions that they couldn't answer. Um, And 
so all these red flags just kept popping up and working in food and feed safety when you have red flags or you have questions that you ask that are that are not answered it makes you dig deeper um that's just the crooks of a food safety audit too right is <laughs> if you can't answer the questions yes, yep, then yep. something's up right so um um, so I just kept digging. It was part of my job too, you know, where I worked, I worked in food and feed safety and we were taking in soybeans. So I was concerned, how is this impacting our soybean crops? Are, are a lot of farmers using this? Is just, just a one-off, like what's going on? Well, as my research, as I kept researching, I found out that this was not just specific to Alabama. This was happening across our nation and, and the, across the world. Mm. And I was shocked that this was happening and I called our local um, state agency It's called ADEM, Alabama Department of Environmental Management, asked them for the regulations on poultry wastewater sludge because that's what the company said it was. But after researching this company, I also found out that they handle human municipality wastewater sludge that's from a municipality too. So I'm not really sure what they put out. They said they put out poultry wastewater sludge, but I don't know if it was mixed. They say it wasn't, but nobody tests. ADEM didn't require them to test for uh, human material in it. So we don't really know what was in it. But in 2019, ADEM had no regulations on poultry wastewater sludge. And I didn't find that out until Mm -hmm. after a month of asking questions. So it wasn't a clear cut, hey, we don't have regulations. Um, They never told me that. So it was skirting around the no. So um, so that was a big okay. red flag too, <laughs> clearly. And it's, but just so happened um, in 2019, and they applied in June of 2019. In August of 2019, Adam was uh, had suggested some regulations, and they were accepting public comment on those regulations. So I was really excited about that, and I got an opportunity to go down to Adam in Montgomery and um, tell them the the risk of this these sludges, how this is not, this doesn't have anything to do with agriculture. It has everything to do with cheap disposal of a solid waste from municipalities and mm-hmm. industries. Um, and I feel like I I feel like they listened somewhat, and then um, also uh, didn't listen. Um, and heed all the warnings too. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's how I kind of discovered all this and dove into it because it was in my career path. You know, this was, I was very concerned about our food that's being grown. Um, you know, peanuts, especially those that are grown underground in the soil. Um, I was especially worried about those. I found out that for biosolids, that cattle have to be removed from the pasture for 30 days, only 30 days after application, and then they can be put back on the fields. With this poultry wastewater sludge, there's no live, there was no livestock restriction. They could put it out and cows, okay. actually I've got pictures of cows grazing in the fields while the sludge trucks were spreading sludge in the fields. Um, it was terrible. So... My first thought when I first started learning about this is, to be really honest, I was like, well, what's the problem with this? Because I'm, I mean, as a homesteader, I'm a huge fan of compost and and manures, right? Like, I love it. I absolutely love them. And I've even heard, I've not done this, but I've heard of people 
talking about, uh, you know, composting toilets and human manure mm -hmm. and all that. So I'm kind of like, well, maybe this isn't that bad. So can you fill us in? Like, what is the problem? Why is this not just your typical, oh, they're spreading, you know, chicken manure on the field. How's this different? Yeah. So this is not, this is definitely not chicken litter or chicken manure that's being spread. This is, uh, and that's one thing the sludge companies want people to think, I, I feel like, is that I want, I think they want people to think that this is chicken litter or you're talking about animal manures because, um, of course, who's going to talk, stand up against that, right? Like if it's applied properly, it's a good product, right? So, um, so yeah, and on paper, it sounds like a great idea. It sounds um, like you're recycling, you're using a human feces that mm -hmm. does, you know, that on crops that can be reused that's been done for years right um so sure. but but our you know you can argue human poop from the 1800s and early 1900s is completely different than what we have today we are packed full of antibodies or i'm sorry antibiotics um estrogens mm -hmm. um testosterones um hormones uh, drugs, illicit drugs. Um, we are chocked full of those things, plus what all the chemicals that we flush down our toilets, plus the industry inputs. What are the inputs that the um, that these industries are putting into their wastewater before they discharge them to the city to handle? Um, you know, and, and that's been seen, you know, like in Decatur here in Alabama, um, we have a 3M plant that's in Decatur and they discharge their wastewater to the city of Decatur's municipality. Well, they in turn spread their sludge and found farmers to take this stuff. And now the farmers, they have to, they, um, they're reaching out to the farmers to um, get money to try to help remediate their farms. And and it's, it's crazy, you know, and like the guy in Michigan that's farm was just recently seized. Um, you know, he can't grow crops. He's been told that he cannot harvest his cattle. Um, so this is the, you know, the land are people's, that's, that's farmers livelihood. And these companies are just coming in off, you know, saying all these greenwashing terms, like it's recycling, it's green, it's, um, it's uh, natural when in fact it's the farthest mm -hmm. thing from that. We are no longer just pooping and peeing and that's it and, and sending that to the sewage treatment plant. There are a lot of different inputs, oils, different greases, chemicals. Um, there's, mm. I, I was on a call the other day and they said there was um, 300,000 different chemicals that are in commerce today and only a very less than 1% of those are actually tested for. And that's very concerning, um, especially with the sludge that's, you know, all that they require of municipality wastewater sludge is to test for heavy metals, 10 heavy metals. And it's like two or three biologicals. That's it. Um, and in okay. 2000, and just, you know, and to reiterate that in 2018, EPA did a self audit on the 503 regulations for the land application of biosolids. And they found that, um, they found that the biosolids regulations did not fully protect human and environmental health. And they found that there was a number of chemical or chemicals that were in there that were acutely hazardous to human health. But yet they're still allowing this practice to continue because they don't know what to do with all this waste because it does have to go somewhere. Yeah. 
and we need the infrastructure to be able to handle this. So it would just does not need to go in agricultural fields. It doesn't need to go into bad fertilizers. And it is going into like potting, like potting soils. Is that what you're, you've discovered? Like it, that is actually occurring. Yes, that's right. They're putting it in bagged fertilizers and they don't have to list on the ingredient list that it contains biosolids. So it might say compost. It might say organic. It might Mm. say waste, you know, and, and you, unless you dig and find out and call the company and you trust the company and what they say, you don't know what's going in your compost. So I am with you, Jill, like using my chicken uh, manure and my goat manure in my garden and making my own compost. That's the only way to go. And it's a good product. And if you use a composting toilet, that's fine too. As long as you watch what you're putting down your toilet, you know, you're not using like different cleaners and um, that may contaminate your garden. It should be fine. It's just, that's not what we're dealing with here. Right. Um, can, cause I'm thinking of the potting soil brands that I have used. Some of them are labeled organic. And then I'm also thinking of just like organic foods. Cause I know there's different regulations around that. Can biosolids be applied to organic like vegetable fields? And that, does that still fall under the organic umbrella? So if it's USDA organic, biosolids cannot be used on organic uh, okay. um, certified products. No. So that, that okay. is one good thing. You know, a lot of people are on the fence about buying organic. Um, that is one really good thing. If you can't grow your own, buy USDA organic. It is, it's not perfect, but it's, it's better than um, the alternative. A minute ago, you mentioned the, a man in uh, Michigan whose farm was seized. I, and I think I've missed that story in the news. Was that in relation to him using biosolids? Can you kind of tell us the background on that? Yes. So he, um, he, it was a generation old dairy farm. And apparently at some point they used biosolids. And um, they, uh, I'm not really sure the timeline there, but they tested his soil, I believe, and it came back high with PFAS. So PFAS is a hot topic chemical right now, um, if you're familiar um, with that. So it's the, um, it's a, a carcinogen. Um, it's known to cause a, a lot of different health problems in humans. Um, it's the, um, the nonstick chemical that is in Teflon. So you're probably familiar with that in these oh, Teflon pans. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of documentaries that are about PFOS. One is um, The Devil We Know and, or is it The Devil Among Us? I can't remember. I'll have to get those to you. And then the other one is okay. Dark Waters. Um, the first one that I mentioned is is a documentary. The second is actually a Hollywood-produced film that um that was put out in theaters not too long ago and it's the and it talks about how this west virginia community was impacted by pfos contamination and um they say that every human being has pfos in their blood at this point because it's used in so many different products um which is terrifying but if it's in us clearly it's in the sludge too and that's what they're finding they're finding that it's heavily concentrated in some of these sludges and then that's being put out on farmland and of course the cattle that graze over that if we eat those cattle our deer population they don't know fences they don't know 30 days that they shouldn't graze over a field neither did the turkey 
they don't like, they don't care about fences. That's just a fun obstacle for them to jump. So, (laughs) so that's really concerning, you know. So his farm, they tested the soil, they found the PFAS and then they seized his farm. And I I mean, I can't help but feel bad for him because he had no, I'm sure he had no idea. He was just trying to (laughs) fertilize his ground like any farmer would. Um, Just one of those unintended consequences we see that sometimes we don't, as a culture, we don't realize till way too late. Right. And and that's the sad part. You know, he's not supposed to grow any crops for sale and he's not supposed to harvest his cattle. So what is he to do? And this is a generation old farm. Yeah. And um, it's really sad. And that's why it's so important, you know, folks like you and your followers to, to hear this and to research this, you know, don't take my word for it. Go out there and research it. That's when you really learn and you start getting, um, more involved is when you see what's going on. And, and, uh, but it's so important for folks like you guys to have these conversations and to talk, um, because awareness is key. If we take away this consumer group of this sludge, then, then they won't have an outlet for it. And they're going to have to be forced to come up with a better solution. And that's what we need is more is a better solution and infrastructure to handle this, this waste instead of dumping it in rural communities and back on our dinner plates. Yeah. Are farmers incentivized to use it? I'm just trying to figure out like, how does a farmer get to get access to it? Do the companies like call them up and and offer it or, you know, it's a good deal. Is it cost effective? Like what's the draw to a farmer to want to use it? Yeah. So that's a great question. So in, I've heard a couple of different things. So the first, like the farmer that put it out that lives next to us, they approached him and said, Hey, we know you're a farmer. Would you like to take, you know, we've got this free food grade fertilizer. It's got this nitrogen level. Um, it's approved by Auburn university. They had a letter from, um, a professor at Auburn university that talks about, um, the fertilizer capability, fertilizing capabilities in it. However, they didn't approach the negative side of this too. Um, so, Mm. So that's the appeal, you know, fertilizer cost versus no cost. And this company is going to come and put it on your property for you. I mean, wow, what a deal, right? Um, Yeah, that sounds great. And unfortunately, he didn't ask questions and, and and think about this critically. Now, wait a minute. Why are you if it's such a good product? Why are you just giving it away? You know, why wouldn't they charge for it? And, And working in working in the ag industry, margins are very tight. So if they can make money off of something, they're going to make money off of it. And so, um, so we, so that's the appeal and the allure to, especially right now. I mean, we're sitting in a critical time in, in our history that farmers are looking for alternative sources of fertilizer so much so that, you know, our, our own government just put out some grant money, $500 million in grant money to look at alternative fertilizer sources. So we have got to communicate and jump on this and tell people, this is your livelihood. Do not risk your land to take mm-hmm. this cheap fertilizer. There's other options out there that we can, that you can do ground cover crops. There's, there's other things that we can do um, besides contaminate your land potentially. Yeah. So I'm guessing that, so the biosolid companies are making money probably there, are they being, I'm assuming being paid to take on the raw product and process it. And then, but they have to figure out a way to offload it. So they're like, Hey farmers, we'll make, here's a, a great deal you can't pass up. So that's where the money is being made is through the processing. 
well, they're they're getting paid to right? just come and pick it up at the at the the treatment plant okay, or the industry. Come, yep. So they get paid Got to it. take it, okay. and then they go to the farmer and they're like, "Hey, would you like this for free?" Instead yeah. of taking it to the dump where they'd have to pay tipping fees. So sure, okay. yeah. That so it's sense. a win win for the municipality. It's a win for the um, the sludge companies that spread it, and then it's a win for the farmer on paper. But when you start mm-hmm. looking at the contamination that he, he's potentially going to put on his property, the odor is horrendous. Um, so he's he's losing um, he's losing respect in his communities from his neighbors because he's putting out this with, with no regard to his neighbors or, or hers. There no regard at all. Um, yeah. you, you used to when my my granddad had a dairy, and of course he didn't have to spread cow manure because. Um, his cows were pastured. Um, he didn't have CAFOs, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but, yeah. you know, when farmers did move into the CAFO um, model of farming, you know, they would always talk with each other. They knew when people's birthdays were and they would talk to each other and be like, okay, I'm going to spread on this day. And there's kind of this respect in the community there. But um, mm-hmm. this this all kind of goes out the window. But yeah, it seems like they approach farmers. Um, they I have also seen where they approach new landowners. I think that's their 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 market are first generation farmers, um, people that may have inherited land that don't really know about farming practices, and uh, to ask these questions and just not say, you know, you know, when the sledge company comes in, oh yeah, you know, Joe Farmer down the road, he's using this stuff. You know, and he's like, well, if he's using it, it must be okay, and just not ask questions. You know, they really need to ask these questions and, and, and hear the other side of this conversation. Unfortunately, they're just not hearing it. But I will also say that there's a lot of very, very intelligent, smart, and the majority of farmers that I've talked to fall in this category. It's like, I would never take this stuff, never. And And they're like, you know, if it's free, why are they not? you know, what's up with that? You know, there's some big red flags waving in their faces. So the majority of the farmers I talked to never would take this stuff. So the awareness is growing then. It is. You just have to get the word out, like you said. Yes, absolutely. Especially to our first, you know, we need young farmers. We need new folks coming Mm -hmm. in and, um, and, and starting to farm and take the interest in that. And we've seen that. I've seen it. I'm sure you have too. new people taking interest in farming and, and they might not know um, that this is dangerous because, like, on paper, like you said, it sounds like a pretty decent idea, right? Yeah. But it, but you, sure. it's, it Especially is absolutely you, not. Yeah. You know, we hear, you're hearing all the, like, the, the fertilizer shortages and, like, there's not enough nitrogen. So, yeah, that's why when I first heard about it, I'm like, well, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is a great yeah. idea because it solves the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do crops thrive? Like if you had a biosolid field and a regular field of crops side by side, would they be growing the same or do they, does there any effect in the crop production with the biosolids? Yes. So that's a good question too. So there, um, the USDA back when used to with the sludge, they would dump it in oceans, right? Then the clean water act Mm. came along. So they couldn't do this anymore. So they're like, what are we going to do now? So the USDA partnered or EPA partnered with USDA and land-grant universities to do the research 
to show the positive spin on biosolids so they could get the word out to farmers to start using this stuff. So there's a body of science out there that shows that there are fertilizing capabilities and that you can't deny that. There definitely is. However, I have seen that repetitive use of biosolids will actually show a a decrease in yields. A lot of these biosolids contain a high amount of fat. Um, Fat and soil, that's not good. Um, It'll encapsulate um, the water that's going to be taken up by the crops, and therefore it will reduce the water availability to some of these crops so it can actually reduce your yields. So, um, And then also, of course, the accumulation of heavy metals if you use it year after year after year. Um, And and now this rising concern about PFAS in our soil um, soils and how that is being translate trans <clears throat> or, or how should I say how that is being taken up in the human body um, and in cattle and tissues and things along those lines because you can follow like dioxins they have that same pathway where they bioaccumulate in fats and then of course would in turn bioaccumulate yeah. in, the, in us because we're the consumer group yes yes um, are there certain crops that biosolids are being applied to on a heavier level, like certain in- crop industries or certain plants or vegetables or whatever? Um, a lot of hay fields around here. I've seen peanut farms oh, use it. Okay. Um, I have seen, I've heard, out, I don't live out West, but I've heard they've used it on wheat fields, corn fields. Um, I know of one place mm. that grows corn, um, in the, in these, the sludge product. Um, and of course, cattle graze over it too, uh, depending. Okay. So, yeah. And there are some so proper, a lot of the, there's some proper, yes, there's some crop restrictions in the EPA 503s for biosolids. But, it, but again, I just don't feel like the body of science is there to show the studies because they don't know what's in the sludge. So if you don't know what's in the sludge, to begin with, how do you know what to test for to see if it's in the crop? Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of scientists right now that are tackling this and looking into this. And I think the sludge companies are getting a little nervous because this is picking up steam and it's starting to, um, you know, there's a lot of news articles that are coming out about this and people are speaking up and awareness is happening. So, okay. I was just going to say, I think a lot of people, you know, are, are just wising up to this. You know, the last couple of years, you know, it, some people could say it's been a curse, but I, I see it as a blessing um, that a lot of people are seeing how our systems are, be, are broke and, and we're, we're waking up. And um, I think that's a beautiful thing. I agree. Yes. And I, I think, yeah, um, folks like you just helping bring education to that is so crucial to, to that awakening. What? what methods are there to get rid of this waste product then if we're not going to spread it on fields or dump in the oceans both of those sound like horrible ideas like what is a safe way that they can be um disposed of well that's the billion dollar question right billion billion trillion dollar question Mm -hmm. um if i if i could come up with a solution i would be a very rich woman but um there i don't really know the answer to that I know there are people out there that are way smarter than I am that can figure out what to do with it. All I know is that this does not need to be recycled on our plates. Um, and there's there's some high heat uh, treatment that some people uh, talk about um, 
that that uh, these biosolids can go through some incineration steps. Um, but I think that there needs to be research. And then, like I said, if we reduce the consumer base for these sludges, they're going to be forced to come up with a, an alternative. And uh, that's key. Yes, definitely. Um, how can we as non like and if we're not farmers who we can't just turn down the companies it's not like we can make a choice at that level how can we as consumers or homesteaders how can we um push back against this or what can we do i think it's important to first research what your state environmental agency what their regulations are on biosolids and industrial waste being land applied that's the first place is to find out what's going on in your state, right? Is, you know, where is this being dumped? Are we keeping up good records of where it is? And 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 what are your protections? Because this could come very easily to your farm, next to your farm. This could come to, on property next to anybody's farm that lives in a rural community. Um, unless it's been, unless there's been an ordinance passed where they can't spread it in the county that you live in mm-hmm. or the state, which the only state that I know of that's banned it so far is Maine. Um, so, and that's been recently, but first contact your state agency, find out what your regs are, um, contact and support your local river keepers. Um, they are doing amazing work. Um, our river keepers are so important and, and there really needs to be a movement where, you know, environment, environmentalists have gotten a bad name. Um, it seems like, and I think that's on purpose. I think the industry has pitted, um, uh, people that are in support of industry against environmentalists. And, and that's really sad because we should, it's a symbiotic relationship with the industries. We know that they provide jobs and, but they need to be a good player too. And they need to take care of the communities that they're a part of. So it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And really, um, you know, we, we need to find a way to come together and uh, being an environmentalist isn't a bad thing. You know, it's God calls us all to be um, a stewards of the land that he's given us. And um, so I think that's, that's something that sledge companies also want to throw you in a category that if you speak out that you're an environmentalist and a lot of people have that, you know, bad taste in their mouth with that word. Um, But yeah, yeah, you know, I'll take it. You know, that's absolutely I'm an environmentalist. I, I think that, you know, our, protecting our water and our soil is the number one step with being a farmer, right? So <laughs> so I think that's kind of funny. Absolutely. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we need to get that stigma away, you know, and, and embrace that word again. Um, and then, of course, you know, talk and have these conversations. You had mentioned buying USDA organic. Um if you, if you can't grow your own, that's the next best thing and support those farmers, you know, that are, they're taking those extra steps to not use this stuff because we, we need to support them. And then that rolls into support your local farmers. So a lot of your local farmers can't afford that USDA organic stamp or that certification. Go and talk to them. Uh, you know, we need to start having these good relationships with our farmers. We need our farmers back in our communities. Um, outsourcing our food. I don't know how that happened. Um, It is ridiculous. We should be more in control of our food. Um, And so we need to support those folks. So if if you don't have milk, if you don't have a milk cow, find somebody that does and see if they'll sell to you. You know, Um, I I just think that's wonderful. And you do a great job of promoting that. Um, So get engaged with your community. 
um, that's a big step too. Hey friends, so I'm interrupting this episode for just a second because I'm sitting here with a giant box of beef on my lap. You may not be able to see this uh, unless you're watching the video version of the podcast. Uh, And it's very cold beef, might I add. But I don't know about you, but when the weather changes, it starts to get colder, I get this urge to stock up. I think it's like this primal human thing. I want my pantries full. I want my freezers full. I want to have the vegetables and the fruits squirreled away. And I want to have plenty of meat for the winter. Now, you guys know that I'm a huge proponent of you growing your own meat. I think that's one of the most rewarding things we can grow as homesteaders. However, I know that not everybody can grow their own beef or chicken or pork. And one of Christian and I's dreams for years has been to be able to provide really good beef to those of you who don't have the ability to grow it yourself. A couple of years ago, we launched Genuine Beef Company. You've maybe heard me talk about it before here on the podcast. And we are able to now provide Wyoming-raised grass-finished beef to anyone in the continental United States. Uh, It's been amazing to see the boxes going out. Super rewarding. But for this season, we put together a special stock-up special to help you get your freezer full of good beef for your winter meals, the crock pot recipes, the stews, all that comfort food. So you go over to genuinebeefco.com. That's genuinebeefco.com and click on the banner at the top. You'll see the stock up special. It's a very, very low price. And we've thrown in two free pounds of ground beef. In addition to that ground beef, you're going to get two sirloin tip roasts. You're going to get four round steaks. You're going to get two pounds of stew meat. Um, and this is good stuff. These are our cattle. We don't ship them in from anybody else. This is the animals we raise right here on the Wyoming Prairie. So head on over to genuinebeefco.com. Check out the stock up special and give our beef a try. I can't wait to see what you think. Now back to our episode. I think that these, that decentralization does so much. I mean, it brings the money back into our communities. It supports the local economy, but also like it's so much different if you have one local farm that has an issue, or maybe they discover PFAS um, in their production. That's a whole lot different than a national (laughs) grower or a national production company discovering it. It just, it, it, there can still be issues at the local level, but they're a lot smaller and they're a lot easier to deal with. Um, yeah. So I'm a huge fan of let's let's decentralize the food supply. Let's get it back local and regional. Um, and I mean, everyone, I think a lot of people listening, not everyone, but a lot of people listening are already homesteading or they're moving towards homesteading. But even if you can't, like Julie said, um, find those farmers. I know we say that so much in this um, niche, like find the farmers, find the farmers, but really they're out there. Even if you live in a place like I do, it's not... It's not super temperate. It's hard to grow things here, but we have a lot of farmers and ranchers that we can still support. Um, I think that's really, really key. So I yeah. couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And and you mentioned something too, you know, those people that are, that are wanting to maybe get into homesteading or, or change the, you know, you had said in a podcast, instead of just being consumers, be the producer, I, you, you said it much more, you said it much better than I just said it, but you know, I want to encourage everybody to, if you're, if you're feeling a pull inside you to do something, you know, pray about it, pray, pray, pray. And when you know it's biblical and it's true, I call it the Philippians 4, 8. If you know that it falls within that, um, if you know that it's just honorable, true and lovely, (laughs) then do it, do it, listen to God. If he's pulling you in a way, um, do those things. And that, you know, I feel like that's what's happened here with me. You know, I left my job and my career over this. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that my 
the company I worked for, they had some soil initiative programs where they actually um, talked about using biosolids. And, and I knew that I did not need to work there anymore. And, and also they were not willing mm. to make a stance against using this. And if this company, if they had said, um, we're not going to take biosolids in um, anymore, they could have really put the brakes on this um, or we're not going to take crops yeah. that are grown in biosolids. They could have put a break on this in the United States, but they chose not to answer my email when I questioned them, um, which was re- very disappointing for me because um, I, I felt like I was uh, well respected in the company. So, um, yeah, so I was I was very disappointed. So I, I ended up leaving over it because there's no sense in working for a company if your morality doesn't line up with theirs. So that that's big that takes a lot of integrity and i admire you for that because that's that's a big step so um kudos for that for for being brave <laughs> but oh, yeah not um, so not abbott god since, right since you left yeah, um so yeah. since, so since I, I left in 2000 this is um there's a lot of uh the timeline is um, it was completely in God's hands I, I know i'm talking about god a lot but he has had a huge role in this and he um but I left in 2019 in November, um, pulled my youngest out of daycare um, and was keeping him home with me because I, I wanted to be home with my babies. And that's important work. And so um, and then COVID hit in March. And so my oldest was home with me and um, I started doing uh, his schoolwork on, online. And I, I realized how out of touch I was with his schoolwork. Um it's, it's shocking. When I look back, I just shake my head and almost want to cry that, that I wasn't involved in his, in his school at all. Um, I didn't realize these no nonsense words and and things along those lines I didn't agree with, um, or have, you know, and so anyway, long story short, I pulled him out of public school, started homeschooling him. Um, I knew how important sustainable agriculture is. So I started working, you know, spreading the word on the sludge stuff. Um, and uh, while I was at one of the Ada meetings at Montgomery, I met a wonderful lady. Her name's Martha Hunter. She works with the Alabama Rivers Alliance. And she heard me speak. And long story short, now I'm a board member for Alabama Rivers Alliance. Um, they do some incredible work. Um, so I'm really happy to be a part of, of that. So uh, to answer your question, I, I'm a homeschool mom. Um, I am, I guess, an activist <laughs> trying to get this stopped. And an yeah, activist yeah. has a bad word too, or bad association, but it is what it yeah. is. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then um, and then I have my small farm. We have a little herd of Nubian goat, dairy goats, and I have a little flock of hens and we have a garden where we grow. Uh, a portion of our food so yeah that's amazing so standing by your convictions opens a really amazing path it sounds like certainly does it really does and here I'm talking to you so um that's that's pretty awesome so yeah got got it works in amazing ways so yeah fantastic so um I think my last question for you this was fantastic by the way I learned a ton um are there any companies. I know you said the company that you worked for was not willing to kind of take a stand. They were just doing the ostrich head in the sand approach. Are there any larger food companies that are aware or at least telling their customers, yeah, we're not allowing this? Is that even started to happen yet? Or are we still on the early edge of it that that, no one's doing that? Yeah. So that's a good question too. So there are a couple companies, Heinz, 
Um, they do not accept any produce that's being grown in, uh, in uh, biosolids. Del Monte is another. They do not allow um, Whole Foods made a stance recently that they didn't want any of their products to be grown in uh, sewage sludge. So people, so companies are starting to make a stance and that's, that's really good to see. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's encouraging. Even those big companies, which I mean, a lot of homesteaders, I would say, it's not that we dislike Heinz and Del Monte, but it's not necessarily companies that we're seeking to buy from where, you know, we're going to be trying to grow our own vegetables or can our own corn and beans. But that's, that's promising that I think when stuff like that gets in the mainstream, it's a good sign that hopefully we're going to see some positive movement in yes. that direction. Um, yes, so I agree. Yeah. If you're, if you're, pe- oh, sorry, if your peach harvest didn't come in, it's good to have an alternative, right. To know where you can go, yes. um, you know, especially locally, if, if everybody's peaches were, devastated which i haven't seen that happen yet so hopefully <laughs> hopefully yeah. that will happen here, hopefully but... not <laughs> yeah. yeah where can folks find you online or get more information about this whole movement so we have a um a facebook page it's called alabama waste sledge awareness and when you join it up in the announcement there's a place to go where you can um you can click and sign up to get an email um update. So not only do we talk about Alabama issues, but we also talk about what's going on across our state because we're, we're all neighbors. You know, I eat, I'm sure I've eaten beef from Wyoming. I'm sure you've probably eaten peanuts from um, Alabama. So we all, you know, in this world of, you know, this world consumerism, we, we all, um, you know, we're all interested, right? And what you do upstream yeah. from upstream it impacts me downstream so um so i think it's important that we share what's going on and you know alabama has this waste sludge awareness page but there's there's one for ohio there's one for oklahoma there's one for georgia there's uh, one for um, new york virginia um so there's people fighting this across our nation so i just didn't encourage everybody mm, you know join us of course but also look what's going on in your state Yes. Okay. So we'll, we'll drop a link to that in our show notes and then you guys can join that. Even if you're not in Alabama, I think it'll be a good hub where you can start finding resources, maybe that are more local too. But I, I, I agree. Like you said, we're all interconnected. The flies also mm-hmm. are very connected to my face, but we're all interconnected <laughs> uh, with our food That's production. Part of it. If you're watching the video on YouTube, I'm doing this. I'm waving because the flies are like literally gluing to my nose while I'm talking. Sorry for the, for the <laughs> frenetic hand motions. Um, anyway, so um, yeah, that was excellent, Julie. Thank you so much. And for those listening, I hope, I mean, this is a different type of episode. Um, we don't, I don't do a ton of like, like Julie said, activism type of episodes, but I think this is a really important topic because as a homesteader, you're becoming more aware of where your food comes from, how food is grown. And also a part of that is caring for the soil, not just the soil in your backyard, but the soil across our country, because when the soil goes, we go. And it's really, really important that uh, we're buying with our dollars and supporting practices that are healthy for us and our kids and our animals and the planet. So um, I appreciate you, Julie, doing all this research for standing by your convictions, for doing the hard things, and now educating the country on this really important issue. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Jill. And I also wanted to say that um, Sierra Club, which, um, you know, they, they do have a working group 
on biosolids too. So, uh, and they're, they're, they're out there looking and watching for this too. So that's good that the Sierra club is watching this too. So. Yes. I'm, I predict we're going to hear a lot more about it in the near future, which is a good thing. Oh yes. I feel like this is great. This is a huge topic and we will be hearing a lot. Thank you for, for helping lead the way. Thank you for having me on and, uh, and sharing this story.